Marco on the normal radio. Free weed. Free weed. Oh, yo. Danny Danko come to show you how it goes. You're now tuned in to Free Weed from Danny Danko on normal radio. Presented by High Times Magazine. See me, I say, boom, bang. Big respect. See me, I say, Danny Danko. song thank you for the tune dj jacques and win strong love that free weed intro and here we are episode 15 at your service we have a ton of cool stuff today we've got a preview of our april issue with snoop and wiz on the cover we're gonna do a true and false segment we've got a colleague rick cusick coming on to do some info on drug testing a recurring column we're gonna have on drug testing Got a bunch of cultivation stuff. Uh, we're doing our strain of the week, our Dear Danko questions and answers uh, segment from the Grow seminar that we did in uh, Amsterdam. I mean, I'm sorry, in Los Angeles. <laughs> All these cups are all blurring blending together. together. I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah, it's wild, man. We, and we got another one coming in uh, Denver, April coming 21st right first and twenty second. So get your tickets now for that. That is going to be a blast. Yeah, in it's going to be fun. It's great last year. Yeah. It's going to be great this year on four twenty. Yeah. Good times. We're going to do some cool stuff with Free Weed at that event as well. So we're excited about that. We're excited about this. Episode 15. Who knew we could put out this many uh, great <laughs> episodes of Free Weed? And, and the response great, has been great tremendous. Great might be pushing it, but you know, we're, <laughs> we're barely skating. We're trying. we're trying. We're trying. We're, we're we getting better. Best. We're getting better, and we're getting more and more <laughs> listeners and subscribers. And, uh, you know, we're, the show is growing, so we're very excited. Yeah. Yeah, we, we force people to subscribe. We come into their homes and, like, subscribe to iTunes. I actually do that. I, yeah, I, he does. When I I've see people, I grab their phone and I make them subscribe <laughs> to the show. Yeah, so don't talk to Dan in public unless you want to be a subscriber to Free Weed. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, well, let's, let's, let's kick this thing off, man. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Hey, just wanted to mention to you guys, again, Ontario Seed Bank is our sponsor for the show, and these guys are right here in North America, North America's first and only legal seed shop. These guys will give you free delivery on orders of over 25 bucks. So check them out. They're on Lakeshore Boulevard in Toronto, Ontario. You can drive up there from pretty much anywhere in the Northeast. Um, Phone number 416-255-5355, and their website is ontarioseedbank.ca. You can see what they have. They've got a bunch of TGA, uh, subcool seeds. They've got all those uh, top 10 strain winners, wild rose seeds, Ontario's best, and bonus special for free weed listeners. They've extended this offer another week. 50 skunk diesel seeds for $100. That's 2 bucks a seed. You got to mention Free Weed to get that deal. Even if you're getting some sub-cool seeds, mention Free Weed to them. Mention that you heard of Ontario Seed Bank through their involvement with this show. And like I said, they've got Jack the Ripper, Crazy Train, Cheesequake, Plushberry, all the great sub-cool stuff. They've got deals on all kinds of stuff. And they're right there in Ontario, in Toronto. So Canadian-owned and operated. Check out OntarioSeedBank.ca and give them a call. Tell them Free Weed and Danny Danko sent you. All right. Episode 15 is here. And uh, 
we want to start it off by talking about the issue we have on newsstands right now. This is our Amsterdam Cannabis Cup issue, and we've got Snoop Dogg and Wiz Khalifa on the cover. They are featured in a new film called Mac and Devin Go to High School. Is that what it is? Yep. Mac and Devin. Yeah, and Mac and Devin Go to High School. Yeah, and it was a great photo shoot with them uh, with a bunch of kosher kush on the cover of this issue, and a lot of great articles in here as well. I got a, a story in here on the cup-winning strains where we describe uh, the, the finest that Amsterdam has to offer. Uh, great breakdown of the whole cup by Bobby Black with some killer photos of the event, the raid, the triumph over the raid and everything else, which was just a lot of fun in Amsterdam. Anyone who's there remembers. Even the raid was, uh, was kind of interesting in a lot of ways. But uh, yeah, uh, Dan Sky wrote a great grow story here on the upper peninsula of Michigan and some growers up there who are really producing a lot of great uh, medical marijuana. We got a story in here by my colleague Nico, uh, Bigger Yields Made Easy, which is always a good thing. And actually, our colleague, Radical Russ Belleville from the Normal Network, wrote his Beware the Box Canyon story in here as well, which is great. And we're, we're really excited to have Russ, uh, Russ's uh, contributions in high times now. Um, and the interview with Snoop and Wiz, which is really exciting and fun. And Snoop uh, reminisces about all kinds of events with high times and, and dealings with us as well. Which, yeah, which... If, if you haven't seen the video that's associated with that, you got to check it out. Snoop just goes off on the Stoner of the Year Award, and it's it's really hilarious. I mean, he's a yeah. he's a great interview subject. He just is. He's a yeah. funny guy. Yeah, yeah. He's a great Twitter as well. I, <laughs> he tweets well. <laughs> he tweets well. So, yeah, I mean, that's the issue. Definitely. Get the April issue. Uh, but now let's move on to a new segment. This is the first time we're doing this, and uh, I think it's going to be interesting. It's called True or False. Uh, we didn't make that up, but it's the first time we're doing it on this show. <laughs> Basically, I'm going to ask you uh, five questions, and you're going to tell me true or false to each, and then give a little uh, explanation as to why you think that. Okay. And listeners, um, these are all our questions from the office, but you can participate in this if you have a non-grow question that would be good for true or false. Please hit us up at Danny Danko on Twitter, at Mike Hughes underscore on Twitter, hashtag freeweed, or email freeweed at hightimes.com. Let's get started. All right. Marijuana will be legalized by 2015. True. Uh, I don't know. If it, right. <laughs> I don't know about worldwide, but there will definitely be states where mar marijuana is completely legal. Uh, I definitely predict that. Even by the end of this year, I would imagine, because there's some serious ballot initiatives going on in Washington and a bunch of other states. I know Russ has been covering it extensively, but I do believe it will happen. And uh, with all of our participation, it'll happen sooner rather than later. All right. Well, that's that's very optimistic of you. I like that. Legalized by 2015. Uh, let's move on to the next one. True or false? And this is a really controversial one. So uh, let's get your take on this. The medical marijuana movement is good for federal rescheduling or legalization. True. Now, that might be contrary to some of the things that have been going on lately, but it, it has been an eye-opener for many people, I believe, who were kind of on the fence to now see that marijuana is not the scourge and the harms uh, 
and all of the harms associated are basically due to prohibition. And I think people are seeing that in places like Colorado, in places like Montana and Michigan, uh, all the states where medical laws have passed and people have begun to come out of the darkness and into the light with what they do. And I think that can only progress. I do believe that some of these medical marijuana uh, people need to start giving back to the movement, of course, because, you, you know, you can't just be taking from this community. You have to give back and give money to normal, give money to wh whoever you think is going to make the changes. But I would highly recommend that they get behind these initiatives and get behind full legalization. Like Russ says, uh, medical marijuana is getting the wounded off the battlefield, but the the war to end marijuana prohibition entirely goes on. All right. Well, there you go. And it is an interesting uh, conversation to have. You saw what happened in California uh, when they voted down legalization. It seemed like the medical marijuana patients were not interested in other people getting that medicine. So, right. yeah, I mean, it's it could go either way, but that's an interesting thing. So true to that. Two for two with trues. Let's move on to a new one. Uh, this is for the younger people out there. Holding in hits in your lungs gets you higher. What do you think? True or false? False. Uh, Dr. Mitch has has answered this question a bunch as well. I think once you've inhaled and exhaled, uh, you've taken in what you're going to take in from that, and that's the the amount of THC and and CBD is absorbed. Uh, almost instantly. So there's really no reason to keep holding hits in for a long time. And all that cough to get off stuff is, uh, is a fabrication. So just sip it, breathe <laughs> it in, let it out and, uh, you'll get plenty high. Yeah. I, I remember being in a position where you only had so much weed. Now you are in a position right now where you have a great deal of weed. So the idea of conserving and making every little bit count is sort of a psychological thing. It's appealing, but you're saying makes no difference. Just smoke it and let it out. Yeah, absolutely. Don't All no right. need to hold hits in for prolonged periods of time. Good to know. All right, uh, moving on. True or false? This is a good one. Dabs or butane honey oil will ultimately hurt the movement. False. And the reason I say that is, as long as we, as a movement, uh, understand. You know both the benefits and the drawbacks and ways in which uh, we can you know put this issue forward without uh, you know the hyperbole from both sides. I think that uh, you know Russ wrote a great story about this in in our High Times issue and uh, in a in a upcoming issue. I believe it's May and the great article by Bobby as well about concentrates. And I think as long as we stay on top of the facts and warn people about you know the potential. Uh, misuses and also about the benefits for for medical patients and for uh, consumers as well as long as these products are made in a safe manner and they're purged of you know any extra materials that might be in them there is a place for them in the canacopia or the canapharmacopia uh, but at the same time it's not something you know everyone should be doing all the time or proselytizing and, and promoting to to all kinds of people who aren't you know heavy duty everyday smokers because it really they dabs pack a punch and so we have to be prepared for it but it's no different than you know the hysteria that arose when you know seedless kind bud you know hydro the new uh you know scourge it's just it's how we play our cards that's gonna uh 
that's going to matter in the end. I, I agree with you to an extent. I think um, the the wild card here is not so much what we can do to promote it, but what the opponents will do with it. Exactly. Uh, you know, it, it seems to me that this is not something that that is a, a natural um, progression. You know, this no. has to be manufactured, right. and in order to consume it, people are walking around with blowtorches, and it's it's something that I feel the the media can sensationalize, sure. which could ultimately hurt the movement. Well, that's exactly what Russ is writing about, and there will be a backlash, and it's, uh, you know, the results of that backlash are how we, uh, how we play our, you know, our cards on that. So uh, it's an interesting subject, and it's ever-evolving, and I think we're going to just try to stay on top of it as a, as a magazine, as a podcast, as, as uh, cannabis consumers. Uh, they're not, it's not going to go away. So uh, we have to deal with it one way or the other. That's for sure. And as we uh, discussed last week, uh, at some point we are going to devote an entire show to hash, right? Yeah, I think we're going to do a free hash show in, in, the, in the future, and, and we'll talk about concentrates. We'll talk about ice water extractions. We'll talk about dry sieve. We'll talk about all that stuff. And, you know, not just the benefits and the pros, but the cons, if there are any, and, and all of that. So... Great, yeah, we'll, so we'll be on top of that, and uh, let's move on to our last true or false. What do you think? Awesome. All right, true or false. There will not, repeat, there will not be a 25th annual Cannabis Cup in Amsterdam following the raids last year. Absolutely false, and uh, it goes without saying that we will be in Amsterdam. We will do a Cannabis Cup. It's the 25th annual, so it's a, a big anniversary for the event. Uh, big up Steve Hager for starting the Cannabis Cup, and uh, yeah, 25 years ago. So we would not miss it. The laws are not changing. Tourists can go to coffee shops in Amsterdam, and actually, just today or yesterday, we heard that uh, that you know that's been postponed even more so till 2015, and definitely not within the city of Amsterdam, where the mayor and all of the officials are actually against you know, shutting down any shops or making them uh, locals only. So there will be a cup. I will be there. I hope you will be there. Free weed will be there. And uh, in more ways than one. All right. Well, that was fun. I like that. That was yeah. a good segment. Yeah, and, it's uh, fun. You guys... and, you know, if you guys disagree, agree, whatever, let us know. Let us know. And also, if you have a question and want to be a part of the true or false, we're going to do this, uh, you know, uh, as a recurring segment, maybe not every week, but we'll come back to it. So do send us your questions for true or false. I thought that was a good time. Uh, what do you say? We take a little break and then come back with our associate publisher, Rick Cusick. Yeah, we're going to talk about drug testing. We will see you guys in a minute. Yeah, stick around. Hey, listeners. It's your host, Danny Danko, BC Northern Lights out of Vancouver, Canada. These guys make grow boxes. They manufacture them from start to finish. They've got a grow box for every need. They've got nurseries for clones. They've got the mothership for mother plants. They've got all kinds of drying equipment as well. Give them a call, 888-236-1266. That's 888-236-1266. And you can check them out at bcnorthernlights.com. These guys are five-time High Time Stash Award winners. They've been on the cover of High Times. We've done articles on these grow boxes time and time again. They're really top of the line. There's touchscreen technology and all kinds of amazing uh, kits and caboodles that they give you with all this. And... Again, they have a special deal running. If you mention free weed to any of their 
their salespeople here when you call for a quote, they will give you free shipping. This is a limited time offer, and we're talking about a lot. That's, That's a, a lot. big deal. Yeah, it I mean, costs a lot things, of money to ship those things. Yeah, it does cost a lot of money to ship these things. It's definitely in the three to five hundred dollar range typically. So you're going to save yourself that money. And yes, these machines are. Uh, pricey. They're in the thousands of dollars, but if you've got money on your credit card, they pay they pay for themselves within a harvest or two. So really, if you just get those, get some seeds, and get growing, within basically two to four months, you should be paid back for your bloom box, and you should be swimming in free weed. So check them out. BC Northern Lights, 888-236-1266, and bcnorthernlights.com. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for uh, joining us. Now, uh, Dan, we, we have a special guest in the studio today, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a special guest. We have a new segment that we're going to do uh, on a monthly basis on drug testing. And who could we possibly have to talk about drug testing except Rick Cusick, uh, associate publisher of High Times Magazine, uh, basically the head of the ad department here, as well as a number of other things. If you've ever been to a pot rally in the last 10 years. You've probably heard him uh, screaming at the top of his lungs about yeah. uh, legalizing marijuana. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's he's been here for a long time uh, with and High And he times. knows everything about drug testing, the legality, the history, how to beat a drug test. All I of mean, those things. And we're going to get into all those things. We're going to start off, I believe, with a history of drug testing, how did we get to this place that our founding fathers would be just completely ashamed of where we invade people's privacy in order to hand us a videotape from Blockbuster? So uh, without further ado – What? A videotape <laughs> from Blockbuster? Yeah, it's a long convoluted tale, but uh, you know, there are drug testing people who work at fast food restaurants and stuff and you know, they started off – with you know the bus drivers, but somehow they just keep expanding into schools where kids can't do extracurricular activities. And well, uh, okay, I, I didn't understand the blockbuster comment, but you know what? We've got Rick here. Let's you will. I'll you understand will after, this. After okay. talking to Rick, you will. All so. right, let's have him on and uh, let's learn a little bit more. Absolutely. <laughs> so, all right. So, thank you very much, Rick. Thanks very much for having me on, Dan. You know, it's funny, uh, 15, 17 years ago, long before I ever worked at High Times Magazine, uh, I had to take a drug test uh, back in 1992, and I didn't know how to get out of a drug test. What do I do? Well, I went out and I got a copy of High Times Magazine, and sure enough, I flipped through the pages, and before I was done, I figured out exactly what I had to do, and I got out of my drug test. I should have pissed green. But, uh, in fact, uh, there's a lot of ways of uh, suborning a drug test, and uh, you've got to know what's coming at you. That's why this is a very important segment we're doing, because drug testing in the last 30 years started from zero, and now it's ubiquitous. It's all over our lives. It's in the private sector. Um, up, up to 50% of American workers are drug tested at some point in their working career, usually when they're hired. And there's nothing we can do about that because that's an employer's prerogative. And in the public sector, in the prisons, in the military, in government workers, more and more and more, um, they have uh, instituted uh, drug-free workplace programs that have expanded it. And the whole reason this is happening is because they are making billions of dollars at testing 
drugs. How, how is this not a violation or a search, illegal search of our property? I mean, they're going inside us. Well, that's exactly what it is. And uh, it didn't uh, 30, 40 years ago, 1970, uh, it was thought that any kind of uh, drug test, compelled drug test, had to be against the Fourth Amendment. I have a copy of the, the Bill of Rights sitting right here. and says uh, the Fourth Amendment is the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. And that's exactly what a drug test is. It's a search under the terms of the Fourth Amendment. And uh, at first, it was presumed that the Fourth Amendment would preclude anything like uh, a urine test, uh, going in and getting your bodily fluids in order to uh, reveal secrets that you'd rather keep to yourself. Um, but in fact, uh, in the Supreme Court in 1968, they said it's okay to uh, go after blood tests for certain people. And then when urine testing technology came up, they equated it with blood tests and they made it a search. In 19... 69, they had never, ever drug tested anybody, compelled anybody to drug test. But in 1969, in Washington, D.C., as a test, they drug tested, without asking, 129 prisoners in Washington, D.C., in, inside the, this town jail, the city jail of Washington, D.C. And uh, they did it to see if they could make a correlation between drugs and crime. It was really uh, prehistoric science. Um, it was ineffective. It didn't uh, yield any kind of results whatsoever, but that was the very first time they did it. After that, they went after servicemen. They went after the military. And they realized right away that if they drug tested everybody who came back from Vietnam, they would have a public relations nightmare on their hands. Richard Nixon signed a presidential order saying drug use is no longer a violation of the military code of conduct. That way, if they drug tested soldiers coming back and they found 25, 30, 50% of the Vietnam soldiers had opiates in their system or marijuana in their system, it wouldn't be the public relations nightmare they were expecting. The soldiers, unlike the prisoners, didn't sit down for it and they took it to the Supreme Court. It went all the way to the Supreme Court in 1975, and at that point, the Supreme Court found in favor and said that uh, this is an exception, a, a, a search exception that they will make of the Fourth Amendment. And uh, that search exception is the beginning of all of the court-related precedents in the next 20 years. Ah, well, that's the way it stayed for about eight or ten years. Uh, Jimmy Carter really didn't have any use for drug testing when he was in as president. As a matter of fact, he tried to decriminalize and even legalize marijuana for a time. But when Ronald Reagan came to town, uh, Ronald Reagan declared a renewed war on drugs, and one of his major weapons in his, uh, in his cache of weapons was the urine test. Now, the urine test was flawed. Back then, 25, 50% of the time, you get false positives, false negatives, but that didn't stop them from putting it in. Um, they tried to expand it into government workers, but actually, a lot of people got government contracts back then, and they thought the best way to get a government contract was to adhere to the standards of government workers. And so, corporate drug testing 
big time corporate drug testing was born. If you had a government contract, you might as well drug test everybody going in there. You can say that, you can tell that as part of your application to get a big time government contract. In 1983, corporate drug testing was just getting started and 3% of Fortune 200 companies were drug testing job applicants or employees. By 1985, urine testing was a $100 million business and 25% of Fortune 500, which is a bigger list, 25% of a much bigger list were drug testing their applicants upon hire. You got to understand when it comes to urine testing, there is no drug test market unless you include marijuana in the mix. If you're going after amphetamines, if you're going after... Um, cocaine. Uh, cocaine or heroin, maybe you put it all together, you might have four, five, six, seven million Americans that fall under that umbrella that you could catch, right? Once you got marijuana in that mix, you got 25 million Americans try it every year and at least 17 million smoke it once a month. And, and it stays you, in your system longer as and well. And it stays in your system longer. Those other drugs, the cocaine and the heroin, they're out of your system for a week or less. Marijuana can stay in your system for up to 30 days. So as long as you've got marijuana in there, you've got a big wide market of 17 to 25 million stoners and you've got a very much extended drug detection window that goes from a week to 30 days. And that's where you make your real money. You got to remember these drug test companies, they didn't exist 40 years ago and they are now a multi-billion dollar industry. Okay. They didn't exist. And that's really what's an, you know, been pushing this as well as a desire to win the war on drugs at any cost, uh, even if they shred the bill of rights in the process. Um, so as I said, corporate drug testing, people that hire you, drug test you before they hire you, that started, that's private sector. It has nothing to do with your bill of, uh, the, uh, it has nothing to do with the bill of rights or the fourth amendment because those guarantees are only against government intrusion. If you want to work for the government, the bill of rights applies. If you want to go work for Blockbuster, Blockbuster can make whatever terms they want of your employment, and if you don't like it, you can take your employment someplace else. That's the difference between private sector and public sector drug testing. Uh, there was only 3%, like I said, in 1983, uh, but it was 25% of the Fortune 500 in 1986. 1986 is when they passed, Ronald Reagan passed the um, executive order 12564 which was the Drug-Free Federal Workplace Act. And um, it turns out that nowadays we drug test almost all of our government employees. Nowadays, up to uh, 50... I don't believe we drug test Congress though, right? You know, it's funny. Um, <laughs> as they went through court, it's funny you say that because as they've gone through court and the, the courts, the Supreme Court has affirmed it. They've always affirmed drug testing. The one time it went to the Supreme Court and they didn't affirm it, it was when they wanted to drug test politicians. <laughs> it's the only thing the Supreme Court has turned down when it comes to drug testing. But that brings us up to about 1990. Back in 1970, there was no such thing as drug testing. By 1990, there was a $5 billion business and lots of court cases that could mean you could test anybody in the government, you could test anybody going in for a job and they expanded it to in testing students. They started off by testing student athletes and they expanded it now to anybody in the student. So if they want to participate in anything besides the bare bones of their school day, 
any right. kind of extracurricular, even chess club, right? Even chess club. So that's and a I'm, huge market that's constantly The drug test companies go after it, and they've got about 15% of our nation's schools drug tests, have some form of drug test company uh, wow. uh, on, their, on their payroll. Hmm. And what happens to students that fail that sort of a drug test? Well, uh, different uh, school districts have different uh, rules. Uh, sometimes they're referred to to law enforcement. Sometimes they're referred to for disciplinary action. Often it's disciplinary action first because that's how they get the program instituted in the first place. No parent wants to see their child turned over to the police. So it's really a, a disciplinary measure usually at first that you know, dissolves down to the police as soon as by the time you get your second or third card. But the point is, is that, you know, this is not a good thing to do with students. It's not a good thing to do for anybody. With, with kids, though, you need to engender trust. And this tells the exact wrong message to kids. You're not in charge of the truth. We're in charge of the truth. Give us your urine. We're going to test it. And we'll tell you whether or not what you say is accurate. Instead of having a dialogue with your kids, instead of telling them what there are certain drugs that you've got to avoid like the plague. And there are certain things that are going to be a rites of passage, but you've got to be careful. That's what you've got to talk to your kids and have a real wide-eyed conversation with them about. But when you start drug testing against their will, you've destroyed any kind of credibility, any kind of bond or trust that you have with your child at that point. So it's very, very damaging practice. So where are we now in 2012 as far as drug testing? Well, it's funny. About 1999, 2000 seemed to level off. Um, At that point, 50% of American workers were drug tested. At that point, they got the student athletes and the chess club kids. The, The Supreme Court cases started slowing down a little bit. And it looked like that's where things were going to stay for a while. It even looked like they were going down for a while. And now here in 2011, there has been this renewed, uh, insane um, uh, bid to expand drug testing within the public sector, uh, particularly in the realm of uh, welfare and uh, unemployment benefits. Um, we just did a, a survey here at High Times. We found out 43 out of 50 states have introduced legislation in 2010, 2011 that would require welfare applicants to pass a drug test. Now, some of those went south, and some of those are just waiting to happen. Wow. And in the case of Florida, it's law. And they found out that only 2% of welfare applicants failed their drug test, and that 8% of people in Florida use drugs. So right. actually, the welfare people are using them less than the average citizen of Florida. But anyway, right now, there is, a, there is a, uh, an aggression uh, in the form of going after welfare people. There's a, uh, a Congress has uh, the Drug-Free Families Act of 2001, which would compel all the states to drug test welfare recipients. That's a federal law that's up right now. Wow. Uh, or rather, legislation that's up to become a federal law. And um, so we're going to see in the next year or two, I'm sure it's headed for the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. whether or not it is constitutional to drug test uh, in order to receive your unemployment benefits, in order to re- receive your welfare um, app- applications. Um, and uh, it might be that uh, there'll be federal laws that require it across the boards. Well. Uh, Thank you so much, Rick. I hope you guys found that as interesting as I did. And I know we're going to keep coming back uh, with more segments on drug testing because it's fascinating. And we're going to even talk about not just how to beat them, but how to stop uh, 
this industry or at least you know fight back and ensure that our liberties and our rights are protected there are ways to beat a drug test and you stay tuned and i'll tell you about all of them all right thank you very much rick cusick yeah that was that was great thank you rick i don't think there's a more knowledgeable person about drug testing it's it's great he's gonna do this segment for us i'm excited about it and uh speaking of which we i believe we have a sponsor for this segment yes that's that is correct i'm holding the box right here that that uh segment was brought to you by monkey dong monkey dong monkey dong yes (laughs) uh it's serious monkey business uh monkey dong is a strap-on urinating device with a natural, lifelike prosthetic penis. Dan. Interesting. Uh, its silent internal valve can be operated with one hand. It's a natural, lifelike skin tone. So whether you're uh, white or tan or Latino, <clears throat> black, they, they have something for everybody here. And uh, it's reusable, foolproof, fits up to a 52-inch waist. Wow. It's undetectable. And best of all, your satisfaction is guaranteed. Interesting. It also says here it maintains the sample at perfect body temperature for up to eight hours. Um, We should note, however, this is sold as a novelty item. It's intended for lawful use only. So please follow all applicable local, state, and federal laws when using this product. And warning, do not take internally. So not 100% sure what that means. Uh, Do not take internally. Me neither. (laughs) That's that's probably a good warning, though. But uh, people can check out Monkey Dong for themselves. Uh, You can call them directly at 1-800-936-1070, or you can visit them at SeriousMonkeyBiz.com. That's SeriousMonkeyBiz.com. Tell them Freeweed sent you, and... uh, we're, we're excited about this new drug testing segment. I, I'm hoping we can do this monthly. Yeah, no, that would be great. And I think also uh, while it's here, we should get a picture of you holding the monkey dong. What do you think? Yeah, we could tweet that. We'll put that up on the old uh, Twitter. All right, well, there sure. you go. The monkey dong. I mean, uh, the box. I'll hold the box. Oh, no, no, no. Hold the monkey dong. <laughs> you must hold the dong. I will hold the box. All right. Well, I guess that's a compromise. Uh, what do we got coming up next? Our strain of the week. We're going to answer some questions, and we're going to revisit that uh, the panel that I had out at the LA Cup. I think there was a lot of interesting stuff discussed, so we get into some serious geekology. Yeah, we got another strong uh, 15 or 20 minutes of that coming up, uh, so stick around, everybody. Stick around. We'll be back. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman, and I smoke pot, and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact NORML at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML. All right, welcome back. Uh, episode 15, we're, we're psyched to put this one out right on the heels of 14. And we're going to do our cultivation segment now, and I believe we start with the strain of the week. Is that right? Yeah, we sure do. We got Hashberry from Mandala Seeds. Why don't oh. you tell us a little about it? Well, I should mention uh, Mandala Seeds is just a really great company. And one of the interesting things about them is that they use a lot of Indian land race genetics, which is pretty rare uh, in the seed business. And they, they literally go to places like Kashmir, um, which is a disputed region in the northern part of India. And these are places where the world's best hash has traditionally been produced. So the hashberry comes directly from that land race genetics. And you can tell just looking at it 
that uh, it's great for making hash. It just glistens with trichomes, um, real heavy, greasy colas. And the denseness of these colas really, uh, you know, belies that floral flavor within. And I find that those Indian uh, land race strains are just amazing. And hashberry is such a great example. Uh, real indica dominant comes on very strong from that first hit. So if you're looking for couch lock weed with a real truly narcotic stone, look no further than the hashberry. Um, definitely medical patients prize it for healing properties. Um, growers love it too because it stays compact and easy to manicure. Uh, it's got kind of an inbred heat resistance as well, having to deal with that um, Kashmiri Indian summer. So I do think uh, Mandala has done a great job with the hashberry, and uh, you can check it out on our website too. We have at hightimes.com, we put up the photos as well, so you can actually get a look at some of these really beautiful shots uh, from Mandala of their hashberry. The pictures don't even tell you the whole story because the, the odor and flavor of, of hashberry is, is really quite, quite nice. And uh, so kudos to Mandala Seeds, which who were relatively unknown for a while and, um, you know, have been getting some top 10 strain love and, and uh, high time Seed Bank Hall of Fame love. Thanks to Mandala and definitely check out the Hashberry. And uh, of course, you could reach them uh, on the Internet. How would they get a hold of Mandala? Uh, it's MandalaSeeds.com, M-A-N-D-A-L-A seeds.com and uh, I should also mention this is a eight, about an 8 week flowering time on the hashberry so it's a nice short uh, finishing indica alright and as always uh, we have Danny Danko's marijuana strain of the week every week up on hightimes.com there's a nice collection there right now so please do check that out well, that brings us to uh, Dear Danko, we're going to do a little Q&A right now what do you think? let's do it alright um, if you guys want your questions answered on free weed, you can reach us on Twitter at Danny Danko at Mike Hughes underscore hashtag free weed. That'll get you there. Also, if you want to email us, please do so at our brand new email address, freeweed at hightimes.com. All right. right on. Oh, sweet. We got, a, oh, we got an email address. Yeah, we're going to streamline this thing. So, yeah, <laughs> please do uh, send in your questions. That's uh, It's one of our favorite things to do, really, is, yeah. is answer your questions. Interacting with the, the listeners and the readers and all the people out there who you know have their questions for us. So I'm, I'm happy to answer them for everybody. All right, well, let's get right to it. Uh, Ryan Wusso uh, writes, uh, regarding purple buds... I know that some are traits, but what about the ones put under temperature stress? Will this cause issues in potency? Uh, he's talking about uh, purple strains like the perps and things like that. Some of some of them, like he says, are genetic traits. They turn purple automatically at a certain age. Some of them uh, will turn purple when cold. So people w who have a cold fall uh, will typically tend to see some purpling, even on strains that aren't you know, don't tend to go purple nor under normal conditions. But I don't think that that cold uh, nighttime, uh, you know, what they call temp stress, I don't think it's really stress to have a cold nighttime. And it doesn't cause any issues in potency at all. I, there's a sort of a myth that purple strains aren't quite as potent as other strains. And I think it's, you know, they're not like a cush in the way that, you know, they're going to get you high for hours and hours that but the flavor and the you know somewhat more kind of mellow buzz is what uh, i think people are have issues with i love the candy kind of sweet 
flavor of purple buds when they're grown properly. And I think that the improperly grown ones are kind of the ones that give uh, purple buds a, a bad name, I guess, among, among, you know, some connoisseurs. And some people are just, you know, cush heads and just, you know, reject anything purple because that's, you know, not what they're into. But uh, I do not think that, you know, the temperature stress of, of cold nights uh, is going to cause issues in potency with purple buds. <laughs> All right. Well, thank yeah. you, uh, Ryan Wisso. Hope that helps out. And uh, let's move on to Crockett at Farmer Crockett. Uh, Love listening to free weed, writes Crockett, and tending my garden. What strain would you recommend for Cali Outdoor? Huh. Well, there's just so many strains that you can grow outdoors in Cali. Obviously, the purple stuff that I just mentioned always does really well. Uh, If you're worried about strains going too long and, and, and you may have issues with powdery mildew and molds like that in the fall, you may want to get yourself a shorter finishing indica um, you know, even potentially there's like autoflowering strains that you could use that would finish much sooner if that's what your worry is outdoors. Um, other than that, I mean, there's so many great strains you can grow uh, outdoors in Cali, especially uh, when they're already acclimated to the area. So anything that's got, you know, Cali names, Mendocino Madness and, um, you know, uh, great Garberville green and things like that that you know are acclimated to the area are perfect. And I'd go with pretty much anything with Afghan, you know, Kush kind of genetics as well because, uh, you know, whether it be in a higher sort of altitude or a little bit of a rougher season with wind and rain, I think those type of plants are going to withstand um, harsher conditions a little better. But if you're in Southern Cali, you can really pretty much grow anything you want outdoors, especially if you stake it up uh, and, you know, let the branches, uh, you know, use some type of trellising system. So even if it's a indoor strain, you can grow it outdoors as long as you, you prop it up. All right. Very good. I uh, hope that helps Crockett. Our next and last question here is from Lori Bell. And uh, Lori writes, why does Obama cringe at the idea of medical marijuana? Could it be because of big pharma? And then there's a link there to uh, Mother Jones' question, which uh, states, or asks rather, uh, medical marijuana is twice as popular as Barack Obama, so why is he waging war on it? What do you think? Huh. Well, it's interesting. I think he's got to send some type of signal to this vast amount of uh, cannabis consumers at some point before this election that he's not, you know, going to continue these federal raids the way that they've been going. I think a great sign would be if he got rid of Michelle Leonhardt, the head of the DEA. She was appointed by Bush. Yeah, she's been there quite a while. Yeah, he just left her in there. I don't think he wanted to to do anything about it at that time, but I think, you know, that would send a pretty strong message that, you know, the Department of Justice is in charge and the, you know, the federal agencies are going to have to answer to Eric Holder and cut off a lot of these, you know, uncalled for raids that are going on in California, Colorado, Montana, um, states with medical laws where, you know, the federal agents are still making busts, uh, contrary to that Holder memo. So, uh, you know, and Big Pharma, it's something we have to worry about, you know, for sure, because those companies know the benefits of marijuana and they will get involved. So, you know, we as cannabis consumers have to demand the product that the way we like it, the way we grow it. And we can't let, uh, you know, big 
pharmaceutical companies end up with the power in their hands to produce our medicine. We have to be able to produce it ourselves. And uh, I think that's the way it's going to end up anyway in the e eventual end of marijuana prohibition. We, you know, anyone will be able to grow their own as long as it's for their own personal use. And we have to fight for that you know, as a community as well. We can't let the pharmaceutical companies dictate to us how we will be consuming our medicine or our recreational cannabis. In yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, this probably could have gone in our true and false uh, segment earlier, but let me ask you this. Uh, does Obama's medical pot policy get better in his second term if he's reelected? Uh, in my opinion, it does. I think at that point uh, he's, he'll have the political capital to do something about it. When people tell me... Uh, I hear this a lot, you know, marijuana is, is not an important issue, you know, we got to deal with the economy, we got to deal with jobs and all these things. Uh, you know, I'm reminded that there's still many, many people locked in jail, not just the uh, Mark Emery's and the Eddie Lepp's of, that we know uh, about, but lots of, of unknown people out there who are suffering and separated from their families, people who've lost their lives in prison, people who've lost their lives to black market violence. All of those things are a result of marijuana prohibition. So I, you know, I take it seriously, and I want to I end marijuana prohibition. I want to free all those prisoners who are nonviolent marijuana offenders immediately. So we won't quit until, until that's done, and whether it's Barack Obama who helps us do it or somebody else, it, it will happen. And I do believe the second term uh, will be a watershed. And, and, you know, for everybody who's super down on Obama, you know, I'm opposed to these raids too. And he's definitely has not fulfilled uh, the promises that, the way, you know, we expected. But at the same time, uh, you know, ma marijuana has gotten much more popular during his Right. It, it's important to remember you weren't doing better with marijuana with Bush. And not at believe all. me, you're not going to do better with marijuana with Santorum, with Romney, with Gingrich. I mean, this is our best shot yeah, at the moment. Absolutely. And that's the way I feel about it. I know there's going to be some Ron Paul people, you know, disagreeing with that, but uh, I'm not going to get into all the reasons why that's, uh, you know, not. Where, what I'm going to invest my energy in. But yeah, I do think that things will change in the second term. And I think well, uh, you it's know, like regarding Paul, un enough. unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your stance, he's just not an electable candidate right now. I mean, yeah. he doesn't have the ability to get elected. So that's right. the reality of the situation, unfortunately. Yeah. And there's a few other things I disagree with him about, uh, which I won't get into now, but if people are really excited about it, tweet me about it and we can have a discussion. I'm uh I'm perfectly willing to listen to all all valid arguments on on any side of any issue. So yeah, send us some some uh, comments or questions on that. Um, but right now, I think that's all the time we have for Dear Danko. Uh, thank you, Lori Bell. I hope that uh, was at least interesting for you. And what are we going to do now? What are we going to listen to? I think we should go to the Grow Seminar where we talk to the buyer from Harborside in Oakland and talk to some growers um, of quite. Uh, renown Cushman and Swerve about producing the highest quality cannabis possible. Uh, why does why does Rick reject it? Why do how do you produce it? What what's the difference between really good pot and triple A quality medicinal cannabis?
No, that sounds great. We actually we heard uh, why Rick rejects it a bit last week, but we're mm-hmm. just going to dive in right here and get a good uh, 15 minutes of this gross seminar, which was really well received. Uh, Dan did a great job moderating it, and I guess check this out. Yep, I hope you guys enjoy, and uh, tweet us, Facebook us, let us know how you feel. But it takes a lot of patience because you can't force plants to grow. You're dealing with Mother Nature. When it comes to nature, we really don't have anything to do with it. We're on the sidelines. So you have to, uh, you have, to have the patience to let them do, the, do it themselves. I kind of like to say it's like, you know, with a child or with a human, you, know, you can feed it lots of pasta and it'll put it on weight. But that's not how plants work. You can only feed it to the point that at which it, it can take in that food. And any more that you give it is actually just slowing it down. So you have to learn the language of the plants. You have to learn to speak their language and let them tell you what they need. They'll tell you if they need more food or less food. And, and, and that's kind of the secret is learning how to interpret what the plants need. I, I feel like the highest quality, the stuff that burns the best, is, was grown with the grower erring on the side of caution and at the risk of underfeeding, uh, you know, just giving the plant really just what it needs rather than overfeeding it and resulting in, you know, like a charcoal kind of bug that just doesn't burn right uh, because all those metals and salts and things are still present in the cells, the plant cells. So, um, Absolutely. I mean, you, uh, I sometimes tell people when they're learning how to grow, you have to do certain things like let a plant wilt. How are you going to know if that plant really needs water until you realize that you've let it go a few hours too far and it starts to wilt a little bit? I'm not saying to do that when you have major buds on the plant. You're supposed to do that early on when you have a young, fairly immature plant. And if you, underwater, if you let it wilt, two hours after you water it, it comes right back. And now you have a reference point whatever that bucket or, and, and you know, and you can tell actually how light it got before it needed water. And it's the same kind of thing with food. You have to kind of wait and let the plant show you a deficiency so that you can learn it. With each strain, every strain has different needs and different requirements for water and food. And so as you're, another thing you want to do is grow one strain at a time at first when you're starting. Um, use a nutrient system and stick with it for a little while because all of them work. They may not all be great, but they all work. It's not what you use, it's how you use it. So learn how to master what you're doing before you constantly switch and move on to a new flavor of the month if you really want to become a master cultivator. Absolutely. Um, a question for Rick about uh, things like powdery mildew and, and spider mites. I mean, do people really seriously show up at Harborside with... Uh, with Bud like that? Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, they learned. Um, I think Swerve and Kyle would both agree that, you know, powdery mildew and spider mites are pretty amateur mistakes. I mean, anybody that's in this game on a professional level at this point is not having those problems, or if they do, if they do have those problems, they know how to remediate them and deal with them. Um, you know, whereas things like hemp streak virus, which is going around Mendocino really heavily now, uh, and other kinds of tobacco mosaic virus are a lot more difficult for growers to deal with. Uh, question for Swerve uh, about, uh, I guess, breeding. Um, what's the difference between uh, breeding properly 
and just crossing a male plant and a female plant. Uh, you mean the difference between doing some actual work and what we in the industry call pollen chucking? Right. Closet hack is another one, right? Closet hack, pollen chucking. <laughs> it is kind of a thing, it happens. It's nothing wrong with it. It's a good, good thing for the amateur experimentalist uh, to see what happens when you take a male and a female that has certain characteristics that might, in, might intrigue you or really might not excite you at all, but combined with another portion of a plant, it might make something that's absolutely stellar. Um, I think uh, if you take the time to really look, and like he was explaining, on reading your plants, and kind of really understanding your plants after a while when it comes to like a, a natural breeder and kind of like what we do. Uh, it, you know, it takes years to really kind of understand the characteristics that you're really looking for, especially when you want to go, okay, I want to take A, B, and make C. You know, you, you really want to understand certain things that essentially are deep within the DNA structure of the plant that most people like the pollen chucker or the closet hag or the private at home breeder don't really think about. They just think about, okay, if I take this purple plant and I cross it to this green plant, I'm gonna have a plant that's gonna be purple and green and taste a little bit of this and that, similar to both, you know, you're right. Now, then you get the crazy technical aspect where you're like, okay, well I have a purple plant, a green plant, and I wanna make a purple plant that has the green flavor but purple buds, see now you're talking something that's gonna take a little bit of time and you have to understand, you know, the DNA of the actual plant on what you want to achieve. Like, okay, well, we're gonna know that it's not gonna be initial F1, which is your first filial generation that's gonna really represent 100% mom or dad or what your goal might ultimately be. So by us really kind of, I guess really taking the time to make sure that our goals are met and the seed that we make, that's I kind of guess what separates the breeders, so to speak, from the general at home or the closet hack, the typical like pollen chucker. The reason why we use the term pollen chucker in the industry is more or less for like, not for general at home, you know, hobbyists. It's more for the companies that come out and they're nobodies that just literally jump into the game, say they have all this amazing stuff when all they did was take somebody's see, find a male, cross it to a female, and out comes the most amazing whatever they claim it to be. That's what we refer to as pollen chuckers. I, I want to I ask you a question on the same line. And I think that this, this will help uh, uh, enlighten people as to, to what they can actually expect from reading or not. Um, when you read <laughs> Um, I'm curious, do you, uh, I know it's a long process, but um, is one of your main goals, uh, does it develop as you go along, or do you start from the beginning? What I mean by that is, um, do you take two strains and decide that, you know, you make a salad, you take a bud of each, mix them together and join, you go, wow, you know, that makes a really good high, I like that. I do that sometimes. I think, you know, that's a good place to start. Um, and then as you're breeding, the characteristics start popping out, and you start deciding, you know, I really want to breed for this, I want to breed for that one. Um, or, so, so what I'm trying to say is, is that as the, the, 
the animal comes along, you kind of recognize its characteristics and go with that? Or do you start from the very beginning and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this type of pie or this type of bud or this type of flavor? Or do you just, does it develop as you go along in the breeding process? Um, ironically enough, I'm one of these people where I don't know if it's the fact of just being raised really strict Italian household that everything has to kind of be, you know, kind of set the way it has to be. So I always, when I come into breeding, I always have a set goal from the start to 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 go in because I know a lot of like you're saying exactly that a lot of people will go okay I want to cross these two because I like the way it is and then something develops where all of a sudden you're like wow this is something special or this is something that's amazing so let me kind of veer off to the initial and keep going in a different direction and see what kind of comes out of that I'm pretty black and white I like to just keep going down the line that I'm headed on I like to keep those extra special ones you know for the side just in case you know we go you know what a blackwater crust to a Jamaican kind of sounds like an interesting hybrid and you make it and it comes out and you're like, okay, that one's good. So let's keep going down this line here and see what we can get. And yeah, you come up with your killer line, but you keep the goodies on the side. You never get rid of the goodies. Always keep the goodies. You know that. You know. So there is some flexibility. Yeah, there, there's always flexibility because you can never count all your chicks before your eggs hash, first off. Second off, you never know which hand of the group is going to be the stellar one until you get to see it in action. You can't just mix blue dream with any green pot and come up with something purple. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, basically what it boils down to is people, some people might think, this strain is good and this strain is good, and if I cross them, I get something good. And that's definitely not the case. And, you know, what you're really doing is sort of muddying the gene pool a little bit, in most, in some cases, uh, just because there's so many different phenotype variations in that first cross, and also, um, you know, that some of the desirable traits can be recessive traits that don't even come out in that cross and would be in the, the next cross. So um, that's some interesting breeding stuff. Uh, I wanted to talk uh, with Rick a little bit about concentrates. Do you also are you also purchasing uh, concentrates and, and that sort of thing? What do you look for in, in that particular product? Um, as anybody that's been going to dispensaries for the last several years knows, concentrates have come a long way. Um, the quality of cold water hash and the quality of butane hash these days has risen exponentially. For those of y'all that haven't seen the uh, cannabis alchemy booth outside, um, one of a good friend of mine, Josh from Berkeley, has developed a method for making butane, and he's got samples of it out there that are just um, mind-blowing. Um, he's developed a, like a 36-hour extraction process. So, and not to mention CO2s and oxygens and all these other uh, supercritical extractions that are happening nowadays. Um, so mainly what we're looking for with concentrates is purity. Um, with, with cold water, you're looking for plant material. You're looking under a microscope to see how much leaf material is still left in it. Um, you do a flame test to see what, how it melts. Um, for a lot of a long time, concentrates were generally being uh, too wet, and people didn't really understand how to dry them. And we at Harborside started pushing the sand versions of, of uh, cold water as opposed to pressed cold water, and that allows it to dry out and allows it to burn a lot better. Um, so that with cold water is what we're looking for. With butanes, we're looking for any residual sulfur that comes from the butane process, uh, any. Um, 
it, just anything in it that is not uh, the pure cannabis extract. Um, CO2 is, is a big area that we've been seeing a lot of recently. And just recently, people have figured out with CO2 hashes how to keep the terpenes in. Um, the uh, CO2 extractions frequently strip out a lot of the terpenes. Um, and people have found that by doing it at a slightly lower PSI that they can keep a lot of the terpenes in. So the, the world concentrates, is, as I'm sure everybody that's into dabs knows, is a, a really mind-blowing um, world nowadays. And it never ceases to amaze me what people keep coming up with. Okay. Uh, terpenes and flavonoids, good question. Uh, terpenes are the agents that make up the smells in the world, basically, um, and flavors. Um, uh, everything from the flavor of a lemon, the flavor of a uh, mango, to pine, uh, musky, all those, all those are created by compounds called terpenes that are also produced in the resin glands of, of cannabis. Um, why don't you do flavonoids? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, flavonoids are the uh, the flavor. Flavor is the uh, is what mixes with your saliva in your mouth and and gives you uh, either a pleasant flavor or an unpleasant flavor. What I found interesting talking to people from labs is that they were getting uh, terpenes because they they exist in other products, pine needles and lemon rinds and stuff. So and that's where you get that lemony or pine. You know, and so that thing exists in lemon and pine, and so they can extract it into a liquid form. And uh, speaking with Addison from Steep Hill Labs, uh, they, they get terpenes in a bottle from a laboratory, and they can alter, you know, they can use those terpenes to alter the high that they get from certain strains, you know, in a bong or in a vaporizer. How would they, how would they add it? It's, it's a liquid that they actually, like, just drip on. I mean, it's experimental. It's all very experimental, but... Uh, it's interesting stuff. I, the part that was interesting to me was that these things exist in all these other things. I mean, they're they're part of everything. So um, I wanted you to discuss a little bit um, because people know about organic growing and they know um, you know the benefits of it, not just for the plant, but for the earth and for your health and for all of that. Um, especially something uh, consumable. You know, you're actually smoking it or vaporizing it. Um, so the level of organicness of it is important, uh, in my opinion, and most people, uh, I think, would agree. And I think, you know, most of the medicine he probably ends up buying in, in a lot of ways would be organic uh, just because it passed the test. Yeah. yeah, you know, the whole word organic is, is really problematic because the USDA owns it. <laughs> um, so we can't actually label anything as organic. Um, what we do do is we work with a gentleman named Chris Van Hook, who's created this program, the Clean Green Program. Um, Chris is a certifier for the USDA and certifies apple orchards and vineyards and all kinds of stuff as, as organic. And so about seven or eight years ago, he created a, 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 a cannabis farm certification program called the Clean Green Program. And he goes out and he does a farm inspection. Um, he's also a lawyer, so any visits by him or his agents are covered under attorney-client privilege, which helps get him into a lot of farms that might otherwise be too paranoid to let an outsider come in to certify. And he does soil and soil analysis through, through a lab. He does on-site inspections, uh, uh, lists of all the uh, uh, organic amendments that are used. So. Um, a, a good percentage of what we buy is organic. Unfortunately, unless the people go and actually get the clean green certification, we can't 
rep it as organic, but so we highly encourage anybody that's going to be trying to bend to Harborside or just trying to up their game in general to um, to look at the clean green certification. Before you give the mic away, what I'd like to know from you also is. Welcome back. Episode 15 is coming to a close. I just want to say thank you to everyone. Uh, Rick Cusick for coming on and talking about drug testing. Our sponsors, Ontario Seed Bank, BC Northern Lights, and Monkey Dong. Monkey Dong. Thank you, Monkey Dong. Yeah, please check Twitter out. We're going to get Danko holding that Monkey Dong. So that'll be something to, <laughs> we'll see. Something to show I'll the kids. I'll hold the box. <laughs> anyway, uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Everybody who purchased stickers on eBay, everybody who uh, listened and subscribed and checked out checked us out on iTunes. Thanks a lot. Now those stickers are moving, man. It's great. Yeah, they're doing great, man. And, and uh, we can actually check where people uh, put those stickers by how they uh, how they're received with the little uh, Microsoft hashtags and stuff on them or whatever those are. Yeah, we have like a map and it shows a little dot and how many scans. It's pretty cool. Yeah. We can see into your bedroom. <laughs> We're watching you. Free weed, man. It's all Free over weed. the place. Free weed. We'll be back uh, next week. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> all right. So, yeah. That's Thanks it. a lot. Thank you. No? No, I think we should do it. Okay. The whole thing? Either that or just the end. Okay. Give thanks and praises to His Majesty for the good herb growing, you know? Yeah.